fighting for freedom every day. Republicans right now, the conservatives, which unfortunately, this is what we have to do every time, even after a vote where people are sick and tired of the establishment, they're sick and tired of the squeezy, middle-of-the-road, squishy kind of Republican rhinos, and we vote conservatives in, then we have to fight tooth and nail in D.C. to actually be heard within the Republican Party. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yeah, turn right it is. Welcome into the program. What's up? What a day it's been, man. It's a Wednesday, the middle of the week. You see the light at the end of the tunnel, which means we get to carpe diem all over this place. As usual, the greatest day of the entire week and holy cow it's been a madness kind of day the day of chaos insanity and madness welcome into it broadcasting live out of the heart of the nation in the great state of wichita kansas yeah the great state of wichita kansas apparently <laughs> multiple radio stations tv live streaming and podcasting however you watch or listen to the show always great to have you along for the ride your millennial general reporting for duty as we do every single day. So a bit of a change on the show today. We had originally had two guests scheduled today to line up the entire show with awesome programming and guests because you don't want to hear me ramble on for an entire hour, do you? Some do, but others not so much. We had two guests scheduled, and unfortunately both of them not able to make it today. So you have me, which is fine because we have a massive amount of things to talk about, and it gives us open opportunity to do so as we move through the day. But... Got to admit, first and foremost, Congressman Bob Latta from the 5th District of Ohio. I First, I have to apologize for him. I know this is kind of inside baseball, but we had planned to chat earlier this morning. We made contact. I chatted with him for a little bit, and then I went to call him back. I didn't have the right number because I'm an idiot, so it was all me and my fault. And when I tried to contact him again, I was unable to do so. So we have that one rescheduled because... I'm just a dummy. The second one, our guest, uh, Jonathan Williams, he's the vice president and chief economist for ALEC, and the American Legislative uh, Exchange Council. We were going to have him on to talk about rich states and poor states in the nation. He's not able to make it today. We do have him rescheduled as well. So uh, it, re- Mercury retrograde, let's put it at that, for those that believe in that kind of stuff. We'll just, we'll just go along with that. <laughs> the fact that uh, we had some uh, some oddness going on today. So, nonetheless, we have a lot to talk about, and I do briefly want to tease the report that Jonathan Williams came out with from Alec on the rich states, poor states report on the richest and poorest states in the nation. And it tees off into the topic that I wanted to get into throughout the rest of the program as well, because conveniently, the vast majority of the states that are on the top 10 list for the rich states or states that are doing best economically for 2023 so far in the first quarter of the year are majoritively Republican run. Utah, North Carolina, Arizona, Idaho, Oklahoma, Wyoming, Indiana, North Dakota, and Florida, along with Nevada, rounding out at number 10. Now, obviously, not all of them are straight Republican, but there's a lot of Republican influence in these for most of these states. Utah, uh, pretty mixed, I think, relatively right-leaning, even though Utah, for the most part, they have kind of a Mitt Romney-style Republicanism, at least at some of the federal-level nominations. Oklahoma, though, is a straight Republican state. In fact, they have more inner bickering among the Republicans because they don't have to worry about the Democrats. There's so few of them in the state of Oklahoma. Wyoming, same story. They're starting to weed themselves out with individuals like I don't know, Liz Cheney, who ended up getting booted out of the party in a very large majority in their latest election. So the a lot of these states are Republican, as opposed to, obviously, the poor states. Can you guess what side of the aisle they're on? Majoritively Democrats. Maryland, Hawaii, Oregon, 
Maine, California, Illinois, New Jersey, Minnesota, Vermont, New York. All of these vastly deep blue Democrat states that are on the bottom of the list on the most economically viable across the nation. And I bring this up not only because we're going to talk about it with Jonathan Williams later on on the show in the next couple of days, but also because while Joe Biden has officially made his announcement to run for president of the United States, I ask you, not listening to the talking heads like myself even, not listening to the mainstream media, not listening to what you hear on CNBC or other places that are trying to break down how the economy's doing and how the supply chain's going and how things are going in the economy. No, I ask you straight up, are you better off than what you were prior to Joe Biden, which I know is kind of a weird one because we had COVID-19. So I ask you this, are you better off with the Joe Biden administration now than what you were prior to even COVID-19, are you better or worse? Inflation, the supply chain, things in the grocery store, purchasing a mortgage, maybe refinancing loans and mortgages, are you better off now than what you were? Doing a quick, just a brief Google search on the economy and hitting news. Here are the headlines from the left-wing mainstream sources right now. CNN, UPS uh, flashes a warning sign about U.S. economy. Where they say the economy is slowing down, according to UPS, with the largest trucking company in the nation seeing revenues fall by near 6% for the first quarter. Here's another headline from CNBC. The banking crisis having a slow burn impact on the economy. The Boston Globe, how scarce labor in the job market shapes a new economy. CNBC again, economic growth likely solid for the first part of the year, but could slow down for the rest of the year, the banking crisis, having more than 200 banks and having a financial crisis across the nation. Interesting numbers, isn't it? So as the Biden administration continues to hype up themselves about needing to finishing the job, I'm scared what that job could look like once the job's all said and done, aren't you? If he's saying he wants to finish the job, what the hell's the economy going to look like in the next four years if he, God forbid, ends up getting a second term in the White House, which I don't know that he could, being in his upper 80s or middle 80s or wherever the hell he is. I don't know that people would trust him, as most of the polls show and we've talked about in the past as well. Bottom of the hour, by the way, we're going to talk, uh, kind of segue in this into the Disney lawsuit that's filed against uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and our battle for capitalism, because that's kind of the overall general theme of the program today. Capitalism, the free markets. Because we're not where we need to be economically right now, where Republican states, thank God, are trying to distance themselves from the Biden economy, from what the federal government's doing. And while we have right now the segue between everybody on social programs, COVID-19 is really bad, the economy is burning, we need to take care of people because they can't go to work. And we're now starting to wean people off of that in the mainstream media, losing their cotton-picking minds over that, because by golly, we have to take care of of the citizens. We have to make sure that they're taken care of. We have to give them the universal basic, I mean the child tax credits every day. We have to give them the WIC program and the Medicare and the Medicaid and the unemployment and the SNAP and everything else that's available. We're weaning them off of that now, saying you can get those, but you have to go through the regular work requirements. You have to show that you're applying for jobs. You have to do some job training. You have to apply your work at a certain amount of time before you actually qualify or you ran out and you have to start working again because you don't qualify any longer. They're trying to hype up that the economy is doing well based on unemployment numbers that have dropped from the mid 6% range down to the mid 3% range since uh, Joe Biden took office. The problem is, it's like we've talked about many times on this program, the economy and the unemployment rates don't really 
count these numbers accurately because they don't count the ones that are not actively seeking a job. And throughout the last couple of years, especially with COVID, if you're not actively seeking a job, that's because you're probably already on the social program or maybe your term's expired and you haven't quite, quite started looking for a job yet. Or we're going into that transition period right now where you're starting to not qualify for the program. You have to start looking, but you haven't done so yet either. So we're in that weird transition segue period where the numbers are a little weird and wonky. And Joe Biden's trying to hype that up, saying that the economy is doing oh so well. But good news for the economy, according to the DallasNews.com, they say that the Biden uh, Biden economy has helped unemployment rates go from 6.3% to 3.5% for the month of March. And that overall, the economy is doing well, although they say it's on the decline. And everybody admits it, including, which is really ironic for the campaign message, he says he's all about inclusivity and about diversity and about bringing everybody to the table. It's at the time where even the Dallas Morning News says that the unemployment numbers, while they may have fallen, are still higher among minority communities across the nation. Not so good news for the Biden administration. (laughs) Not some good numbers on that front. So now we have the economy slowing down. And the response from Democrats is spend more. Republican response is let's cut spending, let's get the economy back on track. And we come to a headway when it comes to the debt ceiling that we've talked about oh so long. The Republicans officially proposing, maybe a day late and a dollar short, not quite sure, Republicans officially proposing their new debt ceiling budget called the Limit Save Grow Act, according to ABC News. Republicans working to the vote today, actually, singing, uh, swinging one vote that was against it, now supporting the bill. Uh, the political plan is interesting behind Republicans on how they're trying to strategize in presenting themselves like the ones working across the aisle, finding the middle ground, trying to be uh, uh, negotiating with Democrats, willing to sit at the table with them with this Limit, Save, and Grow Act. Do you know what it does? It increases the debt ceiling, which, by the way, we're already at 120% of the private GDP. 120%. Meaning if you take every single penny out of every business, family, man, woman, and child, everything out of the bank, everything underneath everybody's mattress, you still would come up 20% short on paying off the entire debt in the nation. We've never been in this position before, but yet... This Limit, Save, and Grow Act presented by Kevin McCarthy and the Republicans who say they're optimistic about trying to show that they're willing to work across the aisle raises the debt ceiling by an additional $1.5 trillion but also tries to reduce funding for federal agencies in 2022's fiscal year and moving forward capping the growth of government spending to 1% per year and block various measures also backed by the White House, such as federal student debt cancellation and new funding for the IRS. Now, this is dead on arrival by the Democrat-run Senate, and it would definitely be dead on arrival, God, surprisingly, even if it went through the Senate, to get to the President of the United States. But is this the right strategy for Republicans? The Limit, Save, and Grow Act, increasing debt by $1.5 trillion, which were already at, what, 30 Two to thirty-four trillion, depending on who you look at and who you talk to. One point five trillion dollars in additional increases to allow us to get through the next four months, but then also caps government spending at a one percent growth per year moving forward, and kills off the federal student loan cancellation and new funding for the IRS. The typical 
hot topic political talking points for Republicans, but doesn't really do in a whole lot in actually cutting the size of government. Now, I kind of understand why they're going the direction that they're going. I almost understand. Because right now, Republicans only owning one chamber of Congress. It makes them look like they're the ones willing to work. They're the ones willing to work across the aisle. They're the ones willing to say, sit down at the table and say, hey, Democrats, come to the table. Let's negotiate. Let's find a happy medium here. The problem is that if that's your starting point, we're in a really bad situation if we have to negotiate beyond this because we're already at $34 trillion in debt. I don't want another $1.5 trillion. Also, growing the government by 1% per year, I don't want the government to grow at all. And it's time for the hardliners to stand up and say, uh-uh, ain't going to fly. We're not doing any more here. We're not going to grow it at all. In fact, we're not going to raise the debt ceiling by $1.5 trillion either. It's time to cut spending and figure out how to get through the next few months until we have a proper budget in place starting in October of 2023 for the 24 fiscal year. That needs to be the hardline position. But does this make Republicans look like they're the willing to work across the aisle happy compromise type of guys, making the Democrats look like the ones unwilling to negotiate, unwilling to work, unwilling to reach across the aisle, making them look bad in the voters' eyes. Because you got to remember, these bills, they're all about how it appears to the voters going into an election season. That's all that really matters here. So the optics is what they really care for. Is this dead on arrival? Will the Senate actually move forward with this? Or... Could we see an increase in the debt ceiling moving forward allowed by Republicans? This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. This is the Voice of Reason. With Andy Hoosier. Welcome back into the program. I love these snarky comments from the Democrats right now as well. As the Republicans propose a, what they shouldn't even be proposing, a Limit, Save, and Grow Act, raising the debt ceiling by $1.5 trillion, reducing governments by capping the growth at 1% a year for the next few years, and canceling out student loan debt cancellation, the new funding for the IRS for their expansion as well. Um, going way too far already. If that's your starting negotiating point, then we are way off track. And I appreciate Kevin McCarthy for what he's been doing. He's been doing a stand-up job. I applaud him very much for being Speaker of the House and all the great fights he's been having. So I applaud him for that. However, uh, this is not. This is what I was afraid of. We knew this was going to happen. And I told you this when he became Speaker of the House. Is He's doing a great job. We were able to rein him in to not be the moderate that we were concerned about being. But the biggest number one challenge, the biggest task that we were going to have on hand was this debt ceiling issue. When he became speaker in January, they're like, yeah, we're going to run out of money before the end of the year. We need to figure out what to do. And now the discussion is, do we cut spending or do we raise the debt ceiling? Biden already said it was going to be a non-starter to even consider cut spending in any way, shape, or form, that it was strictly going to be raise the debt ceiling or else we're all going to die because we will not compromise in any way, shape, or form. And Kevin McCarthy, being the eternal optimist that he is, which I appreciate because I'm the same way myself, uh, said that he was optimistic about being able to negotiate with Biden, sit down and have a conversation. Well, it hasn't happened. And now we're getting down to it. It's getting pretty narrow right now. We're just months away before this actually running out. In fact, they say early to mid-June. So we're in April. Major, we're two months away. And Republicans 
have been yelling and screaming, trying to shout, but the media is not covering any of that because Joe Biden hasn't want to, wanted to address the issue. So now Republicans are like, hey, we need to do something. So now they have this bill, this Limit Save and Grow Act, raising the debt ceiling by $1.5 trillion and capping government growth by 1% for the next few years, along with the canceling the other programs. Democrats are already coming out and responding, according to Senator Chuck Schumer. <laughs> this is his response, is that it should be called the Default on America Act. <laughs> the Default on America Act, saying that it's the MAGA economic agenda that includes spending cuts for workers and middle-class folks. No. <laughs> If they're working and in middle class, they shouldn't need government programs to be cut from them. Because if they're working, they should be able to make enough to where they don't have to. How you do that, you cut down inflation to where they can actually afford to live on their own without government programs. So, sorry, the middle class and the working class, they shouldn't need government programs. And the fact that they do need government programs shows that your programs are a failed program in the first place. I'm just throwing that concept out there but they're already criticizing that one by not going far enough when we've already stretched ourselves too far already this needs to be the stand this is the test for republicans right now for kevin mccarthy and all the republicans and everybody in the house and we're going to have some congressmen on here very soon to talk about this issue this needs to be a hard line to hell with you we will not compromise just as the democrats have been saying to us for however many months now to hell with you. We will not raise spending a single penny. And number one, we're not going to default because automatically by our government laws, we already cover our debts to where we don't default. So that's an issue number one. So everything they say about defaulting on Americans uh, debt is a lie and a farce. And you cannot believe that. Number two, to hell with you. We're already spending 120% of our GDP. No more. Figure out where to move the money from. Figure it out. And we're putting the ball in your court. We're giving you the responsibility by having Repu uh, Democrats run in the Senate, the Democrats in the uh, in the presidency, figure it out. We're out of the conversation because you don't even want to have a conversation with us, but we will not, as the power of the purse, especially in the House of Representatives, we will not raise spending a penny. Figure your crap out, man. That's the hardline conversation. Then when Democrats say, well, they're unwilling to have a conversation, then we sit down and be like, all right, let's talk. And maybe, maybe, at the end of the day, this is where you negotiate too. This is not where you start. It's time to get government under control. If we don't stop the buck now, it will never end. It will never stop. This is the time. The now or never is finally here. we got to make that very clear to our elected this officials. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. When Reason Meets Radio, this is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. Welcome back into the show on the home front here. Last half hour of the show goes by way too fast. Welcome into it. Radio, TV, live streaming, podcasting, trying to cram that 10 pounds of reason into that five pound bag, trying to rebrand the millennial generation one radio listener at a time. So... The battle for capitalism, which to you, I know there's a basic definition of it, but to you individually, what does capitalism actually mean? What is the definition to you? What does that actually mean? Free market laissez-faire capitalism. The separation between government and the private sector. The focus on the private sector, a supply and demand chain. 
that wages maybe are based based on market value, on based on the product that they're making and trying to sell, based on how much of a high demand that is, how high of a quality that is, how much experience it takes to understand and make those products. I mean, that to me would be a free market laissez-faire capitalist society. We said it. Government shouldn't be in it in any way, shape, or form. We don't have a free market laissez-faire capitalist society any longer. That may be triggering for some, but we don't have that anymore. We have very much so a quasi-socialist nation already with how much the government involves itself in the private sector by consuming a sixth U.S. economy based on the healthcare industry, by consuming and regulating a lot of the corporations based on the environmental policy, the cap-and-trade issues, all this other garbage that the federal government has come out with trying to regulate, saying, we're here to help. The fact that, again... Reiterating what Chuck Schumer had tried to say that it's the oh we're gonna allow the the, the debt to default because well the government's trying to cut uh, Republicans are trying to cut programs for hardworking middle class Americans if they're hardworking and they're middle class they shouldn't need to be on government programs just throwing that concept out again so needing the battle for capitalism trying to fight to bring free markets back to the system. And this may be interesting for many business owners, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this if you want to email me at network at gmail.com. Am I right or am I wrong when I say that while business needs to find the best opportunity for them and the best scenario, circumstances, environment for their business to thrive, that government should not, and again, this is maybe triggering, I don't know, the government should not be offering special deals or special perks to to businesses to plant themselves in a certain place as their headquarters or to build their manufacturing plants. There should not be special government perks for them to do so. Right or wrong? What do you think? Because to me, if you want business to come there, it shouldn't be a special perk of saying, oh, hey, we're going to give you a special tax rate. Unlike anybody else, we're going to give you a special tax rate for uh, employee taxes, for property taxes, for land value, for certain perks for resources coming into the state, whatever. We're going to give you those special perks to make sure you come to our area. Is that capitalism or is that what we like to call crony capitalism, which isn't capitalism at all. It's using the government for your benefit in a free market society for you to have the upper hand against your competitors. Is that what we're at nowadays? Because apparently that's how states operate in order to bring businesses into their area. Kansas is a prime example of it. We have a major battle because for those that don't know that live across the country that listen to the program, uh, Kansas and Missouri have a split for Kansas City right down the middle of the city for the most part. We have the Kansas side, we have the Missouri side, and businesses love to flop back and forth on which side they identify as on what their addresses and where their headquarters are based on the incentives and the perks that the government gives them ongoing year after year after year. Other states, obviously, had given perks to business, even at the city levels, not to rag on the city that I live here in the city of Wichita, but a couple of years ago with our former mayor, they made one really, really, really sweet deal for them to build a brand new baseball stadium in the area by literally giving away land as a perk for a dollar an acre in the downtown metro area for them to build this really fancy baseball stadium and hopefully bring in a double-A baseball team that now ended up being a triple-A baseball team and not the economic incentive that they had uh, hopefully made uh, when they originally made the deal a few years ago. But as the perk, they gave away the land for a dollar an acre for them to not only build the baseball stadium, but an entire museum and a whole downtown strip and all this other garbage because they were hoping it would bring in economic incentive. 
Well, that leads us to today's topic when it comes to the company of Disney. What's trending today? So the company of Disney, if you have not heard today, has officially filed a lawsuit against Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. And for those that don't know the backstory here, we'll give you the quick synopsis. Uh, They were against the quote-unquote don't say gay bill, which is a stupid name for the bill. That's not the name of the actual bill. That's what the progressives have called it because Governor Ron DeSantis said, hey, maybe we shouldn't be talking about sexual orientation to elementary students. I know, a crazy wild concept. And the company of Disney, where they had their headquarters, obviously, in Florida, came out against that bill. And since then, Governor Ron DeSantis has been putting some additional regulations and some caps on the company and the corporation of Disney that they're not liking. Well, they've officially filed a lawsuit, according to CNBC, saying that the Republican governor has, quote, relentlessly uh, has a relentless campaign to weaponize government power against the corporation that's been, quote, orchestrated at every step. That's actually in the lawsuit. Orchestrated at every step to punish Disney based on their political views and their stance against his policies. Now, what has Governor Ron DeSantis actually done against the company of Disney? What he's done is he's taken away the perks that were crafted back in the 1960s where they're essentially governing themselves outside of the purview of the state government. They have their own land. They do not pay property taxes on them. They don't pay taxes to the state based on what happens at that value. They don't pay anything. They've essentially owned their land as their own individual government and nation within the state of Florida. And Ron DeSantis said, oh, those are going away. Now, Whether that's a good idea or not good idea, whether you want to go down that road with the battle against the quote-unquote woke corporation is an interesting concept, but I think he's doing the right thing, but really for the wrong reason. There was a debate on that, by the way, on on, uh, Newsmax earlier today, actually, where uh, Anthony Scaramucci, remember that name? The guy that used to be the former press secretary for the Trump administration was actually duking out with a uh, Newsmax host on this issue on whether it was the right move or not. Scaramucci said, no, back off. Government shouldn't be involved in this issue. Of course it doesn't make sense. Well, several reasons, but the main one is conservatives are supposed to be laissez-faire. Conservatives are supposed to back off of uh, American businesses and let American businesses make their own decisions. Uh, Disney has a position. It's their right of free speech. Um, the way Disney loses with this woke thing, and you know I hate the woke stuff because I am a conservative, is through the internal mechanisms. That's people not going to their parks, not subscribing to Disney+, Plus, getting investors and shareholders on their board that tell them to knock off the woke sort of stuff. Having it coming from the yeah, government. Mucci, you know, they're not doing it. All right, so that was Anthony Scaramucci. That was on Newsmax just earlier today talking about, hey, uh, Ron DeSantis is in the wrong here. He needs to back off because the government, the the corporation itself of Disney has the right to freedom of speech. They can do their woke stuff even though we don't agree with it. They have the right for that. And as a laissez-faire free market capitalist uh, conservative, we don't need to be punishing them through the government based on their woke ideology as a corporation. And I agree with that. However, he's still wrong. He's right but for the wrong reason, or maybe he's wrong, but for the right reason. Let's put it that way. He's wrong, but for the right reason. The host, however, is all about lay down the law, put down the hammer, let's punish the Disney Corporation, let's take away all these perks that the government gave them, let's go ahead and do that because we don't like the wokeness from Disney. They're they're, they're not doing it. The woke woke agenda is, 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 
is alive and kicking in, in, the, in the boardrooms in America. And it takes a strong governor to say, stop it, or we're going to pull back on some of the things we've given you. They gave Reedy Creek a special exemption. Eric, I get the fact that you're in the culture war, and I understand your position in the culture war. But honestly, as an American businessman, and for many years, you were a very successful American businessman. You don't want the government hitting this tripwire and causing those dominoes to take place. You don't want Democratic governors or Republican governors involved with the intervention. Interesting conversation. Now, in my personal opinion, the host is right, but for the wrong reason. The guest, Anthony Scaramucci, is wrong, but for the right reasons. We don't want government to be involved in the private sector. The laissez free market capitalist society. And even if a company is woke and doing really stupid woke stuff, that is up to us as the consumer to decide whether we're going to buy their product. Look at what's happening to Bud Light. We don't need a government intrusion to crack down on Bud Light. We're just not going to buy Bud Light. And what happened? They lost near six to seven billion dollars worth of their value. We see Fox News. Tucker Carlson out, boom, they fired him. He was the number one rated host on the entire network. Guess what? In one day, in a single day, Fox News lost near 5 to 6% of their shares, uh, lost near a billion dollars worth of value for their shares, and they're trying to rebuild now because we stopped watching and we're canceling our Fox News subscriptions and we're canceling our memberships with the organization. As a consumer, that's what we do. And Anthony Scaramucci is right on that front. However, he's wrong when it comes we shouldn't do something about cracking down on the perks from government. The host is right there that we should be cracking down on it, but not because they're woke, not because it's a retaliation for political views, because he's right. That is going to open up Pandora's box for every governor to go after corporations that they don't agree with within their uh, the territories to try and tax them more or punish them more or get rid of certain perks. We shouldn't be doing perks in the first place. If a governor or state wants to have perks for a, uh, for a corporation to settle there to give them jobs, to give them manufacturing, to give them certain tax revenue in their state, then it needs to be across the board. Isn't that the separation of government in, in, in private sector here in corporations? Now, obviously, we're talking in a pipe dream here because that's not the way that things operate nowadays for especially large corporations. But how does that work for the little guy who has to try and get the little shop, the little walk-in shop in the downtown strip of an area, and then say, hey, I have to pay normal tax rates. I have to pay regular employee taxes. I have to pay regular property taxes. I have to pay regular sales tax rates while the corporation's getting all these perks. What the hell, man? I don't see some fairness in the economic system right now. We need to push those two ideas together and do it for the right reasons. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Man, the Democrats losing their minds. So the idea of capitalism, separation from the government and the private sector, should we just make it to where there's incentive for every business, large corporation and small? I mean, wouldn't that be a nice way to clean things up instead of saying, hey, we're going to give you a special perk and you a special perk, but we're not going to give you a special perk, small uh, small business, because you're really not that important. 
But we really need you because, honestly, small business considered uh, 99% of all the economic growth in this nation. So there is that. And by the way, small business being considered any business under 500 employees is, by definition, what a small business is across the nation. These perks, we need to get rid of them for Disney. Imagine, if you will, a massive corporation that dominates the industry. And by dominates the industry, I mean Disney owns about every TV outlet out there, every different streaming site, every different, uh, they own ESPN, I think they own like ABC and CBS and NBC and whatever. They own just about everything. They own most of the TV and and, uh, movie production companies. They own it all. Because they have the opportunity that they've lived like kings for so long, which makes sense with how many castles they have on Disney World down there in Florida already, they they live like kings not having to pay taxes, not having to pay sales tax or employee tax or property value tax or any of that stuff, making their own rules and their own laws since the 1960s, charging whatever the hell that they want to charge. I love taking my little girl to the Disney on ice. She loves it. She's been there three or four times throughout the years. Absolutely loves it. You cannot walk out of there without spending about $200. 20 bucks for a bag of cotton candy that's only half full that takes them 20 cents to actually make. 20 bucks for that. A toy, a single toy that's going to break in about three months is like 40, 50 bucks. It's insane how expensive their products are, but just because it's branded by Disney, they can charge whatever the hell they want to. And now when the governor says, you know what, uh, we're going to go ahead and get rid of these perks, which should have been done a long time ago. They shouldn't have had to wait just until they went woke and started attacking the Republicans. This should have been done from day one in the 60s to say, uh-uh, you're not going to get this sweet deal. The hell are you talking about? This should have been done a long time ago. Now it's being used for a political purpose from both sides of the aisle. Again, we're doing the right thing, but for the wrong reason here, trying to usurp a corporation privately by using government intrusion based on their woke ideology when it should have just been, hey, you know, you shouldn't have had these perks for a long time. Now you should pay and do the fair thing like everybody else. You got to play the game fairly, just like everybody else. You're not getting any special deals here. Uh, the the company at Disney has the audacity during this conversation to say now that they're working to try to invest in the company to hire new individuals, and that's why this lawsuit that's void and unenforceable. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. The panel unanimously, the, the Governor Ron DeSantis created a panel to decide the fate of Disney, which they voted unanimously. Um, to actually get rid of all the perks that they have. The lawsuit says it's the latest strike as they've laid the foundation for uh, billions of Disney's investment dollars and thousands of jobs to be at stake here. Because the Disney company said that they planned on investing $17 billion into the Walt Disney World over the next decade to create near 13,000 new jobs on top of the near 75,000 jobs that they already host. Now, I guess you could look at it that way. However, Disney's already been laying people off just by what's going on right now. They haven't even lost the perks yet, and they're already losing people. In fact, they just uh, let go of near 7,000 workers over the last month. 7,000. So they're actually losing, and they say they were planning on building, and how it's Ron DeSantis' fault that it's not going to be able to be invested or grow because of getting rid of all these perks, because now they actually have to pay property taxes, and they have to pay sales taxes. And they have to play employee taxes and all the other stuff because they weren't having to do as much of that uh, before based on the nice little perks that they were getting. We have to do this 
But it can't just be Disney, and it can't just be because of their woke ideology. That stuff has to be done based on the consumers. If you don't like the direction Disney's going, you have to do the same with what you did with Bud Light and what you did with uh, Fox News, is you have to cancel the subscriptions, not go to the resorts, not pay the massive amounts of money to them, and let them flail until they make a change. And right now, we're, again, leaning on government to do it for us which we need to do anyways get rid of those perks but we have to do it for the right reasons because you're right this could open open up the pandora's box to allow republican and democrat governors across the nation to give special perks to some companies and not perks to other companies based on political ideology in the corporations and how they actually stand on a political issue this is insanity let capitalism free market laissez-faire systems work the way they're supposed to and the businesses conveniently will support government and political sides that will give them the best perks, which will be for everybody, not just for them individually. What a crazy concept. Back at it to get, oh, programming note, not here tomorrow. Taking a day off tomorrow. I'll be taking a personal day back at it again on Friday. Until then, we'll see you on the radio. This is The Voice Reason. I'm Andy Hoosier. Have a great Thursday.